Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening this evening. It is a blessing to be with you no matter where you are, whether you are in your house, whether you're maybe at work or on your way home from work, maybe you're in the bus. Maybe you're on another continent. Maybe you're not even in the Caribbean. No matter where you are or what you're doing, we are glad that you are tuned in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and to That's Truth tonight. Tonight we are going to continue our discussion on Bible prophecy and take a little bit different approach tonight. For the last couple weeks we've been talking about the rapture. And I'm not going to go as far as to say that we've exhausted that topic, but I'd like us to shift our focus a little bit and talk about the Antichrist, and specifically, who is he? Is there such a thing as an easy answer to that question? Well, I uh, don't think there's any doubt about the fact that the Bible speaks fairly uh, definitely about this person who's going to come on the world scene. He's going to be Satan's Superman. Uh, He's going to be the one who becomes the final future uh, dictator of the world, a global leader, uh, a man with all the political answers that uh, people are seeking answers for. Um, he will burst on the world scene very suddenly, but he will capture the hearts of men and women and become the ascendant political leader of a global empire. In, in the scriptures, uh, there are a lot of aliases that are used to describe him, and uh, I would just like to share with you um, some of those aliases. Um, in the book of Daniel 7, 8, he's called the Little Horn, You'll also find reference to the little horn also in the book of Revelation. Uh, He's called the king insolent and skilled in intrigue in Daniel chapter 8, verse 23. So he's a very very diplomatic, very skilled, but very um, subtle as well. Uh, In Daniel 9, 6, he's called the prince that is to come, uh, the one that will sign the peace pact with Israel for seven years in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. In uh, Daniel 11.36, he's called a king who does what he pleases. He will be able to function and fulfill whatever um, he wants desired uh, because he would have that kind of global um, power and he would be a great charismatic leader the world goes after. Um, also in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, he's called the man of lawlessness um, and also the son of perdition in Second Timothy, Second Timothy Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. In Revelation 6, 2, he is the rider on the white horse. There are two riders on white horse in the book of Revelation. The first one is the Antichrist. The second one is the true Christ. And then in Revelation 13, 1 to 9, he's called the beast that comes out of the sea. And Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, call him the wicked one. 
So he has those aliases that are given in scripture to describe him, and we don't have time to do an exhaustive study on each one of those. But uh, those of you who are taking notes and who um, would like to get some more information about who he is, those are the aliases that he's described on these called by those different appellations and different titles. Where specifically do we get the word Antichrist? Like, is that word in the Bible, or is that something that we've developed? Well, the the word, I know sometimes we talk the word rapture, not that particular word being in the Bible, but also uh, we pointed out to you in, in Thessalonians, the word snatch away or catch away is there, a different Greek word. But um, when it comes to the Antichrist, clearly uh, his that reference, that particular title is used several times in the Bible. Uh, but in specific, specifically, it's only found uh, in the writings of John. Uh, five times in the writings of John, you'll find that particular title. If you've got your Bible, uh, Nathan, to assist me, um, if you look in First John uh, chapter 2, and I will look in First John chapter 4, but uh, you'll find a reference there to the word Antichrist in First John. First John chapter 2. Uh, First John chapter 2, verse 18. All right. First John 2.18 says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come even now, are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Notice that John says he's going to come, but at the present moment in the first century world, there were already many Antichrists. In other words, there are others that are going to precede him. Uh, if you also look at verse 22, there's also a reference to the, uh, to the word Antichrist as well. Verse 22, the same chapter. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Antichrist, okay. that denieth the Father and the Son. Whatever the Antichrist or whoever the Antichrist is going to be, is going to be a negation of Christ, the denial of Christ. And uh, so John is making that abundantly clear. And then in First John chapter 4, verse 3, there's another reference to the word Antichrist. All right. First John chapter 4, verse 3 says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Notice that here in the case of where John is dealing with this matter. Uh, John is combating what is called the Greek um, philosophy of Gnosticism that had begun to infiltrate the church. And what really that philosophy was about was a denial that Christ had come in actual human flesh. The reason for that is the Gnostics believed that um, spirit was good and flesh was bad. So anything that was material was evil, anything that was spirit was was good. So they could not conceive of the incarnation where Christ became a man, God, a spirit becoming a human being. So they were denying the incarnation and uh, John makes it very, very clear uh, that to deny the actual incarnation of Christ that he became a man is to actually be one that helps perpetuate the doctrine of the Antichrist which is really uh, against Christ and who he really was. Um, this is just the beginning of the satanic program of the Antichrist. And uh, so this Gnosticism that had come into the church basically was just the beginning of something that is going to be um, much more spread during the end times. Um, and there's another reference in Second John 7, Second John verse 7. You'll find another reference there to the Antichrist. Let me read. Okay. 
For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus is coming to flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So notice that the antichrist doctrine um, is about the denial of who the Bible says Christ is. And in this case, it has to do with his humanity and has to do with his reincarnation. But uh, the Antichrist is going to come, and it's going to come that John talks about in First John chapter 2, verse 18. All of these other uh, false teachers that introduce a false doctrine about Christ are just types of that one who is to come, the, the true Antichrist to come. Um, so the Antichrist is really going to be that person that comes in the end time and who will claim to be the Messiah and assert him to be a Messiah, and the world would go after him and um, believe his false doctrine. It's interesting, by the way, when you read Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, who speaks about this same Antichrist, uh, what is said there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Um, if you, I'll read it for you. It says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Uh, only he who letteth will not would let until he be taken out of the way. I, I point out to you the word let there, he who hinders or restrain, will continue to restrain. And then it goes on to talk about the fact that he's not manifested presently because there's a restraining power that keeps him from manifesting himself. Uh, but that's the one that uh, um, Second Thessalonians talks about. You'll read later into the chapter that he's going to claim to be God and be in the temple claiming to be God in Second Thessalonians. But this is the same one, the Antichrist, who will come in the end time. So we get the word from the epistles of John, and the indication there is that whoever the Antichrist is to come, he'll be one who is speaking against Christ and who is teaching things contrary to Scripture about Christ. He's going to be a, a counterfeit Christ, and uh, the world is going to believe. Our Lord made a statement um, in the book of John where he said, I come in my name and you do not receive me. Another one will come in his own name and you will receive him. That's the Antichrist that's going to come. The true Christ came, the Jews rejected him, but he's, uh, he came in the Father's name. But the Antichrist is coming in his name, own name, and when he does come, the world will go after him. So he is the one who is coming, um, who will be the end-time world leader, but he also has a religious factor to him that he is going to be claiming that he is the Christ, the Messiah, uh, who uh, was promised in Scripture. What specifically does the word Antichrist mean, or am I reading too much into things here? Well, the word Antichrist means two things. If you check a Greek lexicon, first of all, it means against and opposed to oppose, but it also means instead of or in place of. And the Antichrist that the Bible talks about is both. He's going to be the arch-villain, uh, the chief adversary against the true and the living Christ, but he's also going to be the fake substitute parody of Christ, claiming that he is Christ. So he's both one who is against and opposes the true Christ, but at the same time he's one that claims to be the one who is really in place of the Christ, that he is the true Christ. So he's, um, um, the word uh, means those two things, one who's against or opposed and one who's instead of or in place of, and the Antichrist uh, will be both of those things against the true Christ, but at the same time claiming that he is the, the real substitute Christ. But aren't those two things kind of opposed to each other? So how can he be both? Well, he can't be. We, well, again, you either surrender to the true Christ or you believe this Christ who is going to come. That has been the challenge throughout all history. Do you accept the Christ that the Messiah has already come? But the world today is still looking for the one. 
you read, uh, you know, look at the matrix, uh, which is an yeah. indication of what the world is looking at. The whole uh, global scene is preparing people for what is called a higher consciousness, that one will come who will elevate man to a higher consciousness. That is part of the New Age movement. It is part of every um, Hindu system of religion that has infiltrated the West. And clearly today, people are looking for someone who can deliver and come up with answers to the human problem. Man knows he's in real trouble. Uh, you just look at the global scene and see how many hot spots there are, how many issues that people don't seem to have answers for. They're looking for someone to come with answers. And this one will come on the scene with uh, uh, what would seem to be the answers to the world's problems. And the world would gravitate towards it because he's a great charismatic leader that people are looking for. How specifically is he going to imitate the Christ, or that's not going to be his main goal? Well, uh, if you check these scriptures and you compare what Christ did to what he's going to do, you can see very clearly that he uh, is trying to imitate it. For example, uh, Christ uh, performed miracles and signs and wonders. You find that in Matthew 9 and also Mark, all the Gospels. When you read uh, about the Antichrist, uh, he performs signs and miracles and wonders. You find that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, and Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. So one uh, comes into the world, and remember, part of the prophecies about the Messiah is that he's going to be a miracle worker, open the eyes of the blind. This one is coming with signs and wonders, uh, just like Christ came with. Um, uh, we know that according to First John, Jesus is God. He is claiming to be God in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse four. If you look there for just a moment, Nathan, and just read that. Yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter, chapter two, two, verse, verse four. four says, "Who op- who opposeth and exalteth himself, all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." Yeah, Christ. I mean, the the, the Christ is the Son of God. He comes as one who's claiming that he is God. So he has imitated him in that regard. Uh, the other thing is, Revelation 5, 4, uh, a mark of that, he's called, Christ is called the land of the tribe of Judah. It's interesting that in Revelation chapter 13, verse 2, it said that he had the mouth of a lion. Uh, and that has to do with his, of course, his capacity to speak in such a way that um, it mesmerizes the world in terms of oratorical skills. Um in uh, Revelation 7, 4, and 14, 1, the followers of the Messiah, Christ, are sealed in their forehead. You remember the 144 witnesses? If you check the uh, Revelations 13, 16 to 18, you find that the followers of the Antichrist is sealed on their forehead as well with the number 666. Um, in Revelations um, 19, 7 to 10, you find that uh, Christ is married to a virtuous bride. That is the, the, the church. In Revelation 17, 3 to 5, he's married married to um, what is called a great whore. He has a bride as well. So Christ has a bride. He has a bride. In Revelation 19, 12, Christ is crowned with many thorns. In Revelations 13, uh, 1, uh, he has ten horns, ten, ten crowns on his horns. Uh, in Revelation 19.16, uh, he's the king of kings. In Revelation, Daniel, uh, Christ is the king of kings. In Daniel 11.33, he's called the king that is to come. Um, in Revelations 3.21 and 12.5 and 20.11, Christ sits on his throne. In Revelation 13.2 and 16.10, he sits also on a throne. Um, in Revelation 19.15, a sharp sword goes out of his mouth. 
in Revelations, they um, speak great swelling words that come out of the beast's mouth. Uh, he rides on a white horse in Revelation 6.2. Christ rides on a red horse in Revelation 9.11. He has an army in Revelation, um, Revelation 6.2 and Revelation 19.19. Christ has an army in Revelation 19 verse 14. Um, Revelation 5.6 and 13.6. Christ has a violent death. He is, he is uh, crucified. He dies. He's resurrected. In Revelation 13.3, the beast is slain and he's also resurrected. Um, in other words, when you take the comparison, and we can go on and go on, and you look at what Christ did or something, you find that almost in in, in tandem, uh, he imitates everything that Christ is. He tries to imitate that. So that's what we mean, uh, that he is uh, proving himself to be um, the, 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 the Christ who is supposed to come. You're listening to That's Truth. It's a live interactive call-in program. Pastor Murphy is here teaching specifically about the Antichrist. Well, we've been talking about Bible prophecy for, I believe it's nine or ten weeks now, and going into different topics each week. If you have a question, we would love for you to get in touch with us. You can either WhatsApp it or you can call and be put live on the air. If you WhatsApp your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. If you'd rather call and be put live on the air, we would love for you to call. The phone line is available, 268-462-7420. Or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your question and it'll be passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Also, you can email us at crlthatstruth at gmail.com. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 748, and we are honored that you have decided to Take time out of your Tuesday evening to join us on That's Truth. Pastor, as we talk about uh, the Antichrist, and I had no idea until you were just explaining that how many similarities there were or uh, resemblances that the Antichrist uh, was trying to be like Christ until you were going through that whole list. And I quickly went to some of those passages and some pretty powerful verses there. But what is it about the Antichrist? From my biblical worldview, I look at it and I go, how can people be deceived? But what's going to make him so attractive in the global uh, atmosphere of his day and age? I'm going to address that shortly, but let me just um, also draw some contrast between him. Because while he's trying to imitate uh, the Christ uh, with these different things, there are some outstanding contrasts that are drawn in the Bible when you compare him. Uh, to the true living Christ. For example, Christ is called the truth. The Antichrist is called the, the lie that people would believe. Uh, Christ is called the Holy One. He's called the Lawless One. Christ is a man of sorrows. He's a man of sin. Uh, Christ is the Son of God. He's the Son of perdition. Uh, Christ is the mystery of godliness. He's the mystery of iniquity. Christ cleanses the temple, but he destroys the temple. Christ is the lamb, but he's the beast. In other words, while there are, uh, you know, the, the Bible is making it very clear why he tries to imitate him in actual fact. 
there's such a contrast between him. The other thing, of course, is that the response that the world gives to to, to him in contrast to Christ is is going to be is astounding. Christ was. Uh, the response was they despised him, they rejected him, but he is going to be accepted and married by the whole world. So there are, there are similarities, but they also contrast in terms of the individual concern. Now, as far as your question about what is so attractive about him, when you take a composite profile uh, of the Bible that um, describes him, there are certain characteristics that sum up uh, his profile in such a way that you can see why he would be an attractive world leader. Um, for example, Daniel eight twenty three describing him, it is very clear that he's one that has great intellectual prowess. He understands dark sayings and dark things. Uh, he's a man who will be able to mesmerize the world by his intellectual power. Remember, he's a superman, a person with incredible insight and wisdom, and a person, no doubt, of great learning. Uh, a brilliant man, if you see Daniel uh, 8 there, he understands things that nobody can understand, dark sayings. So one of the attractions about him is that he's going to be a great intellect. And of course, I don't have to say anything about that. That's what the world is dotish over. Yeah. Uh, it depends on how much uh, qualification the man has got, how many degrees, what titles he got to his name. We're just worshiping education today, and he's going to be the person coming on the scene that uh, the world is going to say, this man is smart, this man is brilliant, this man is just above the average, basically. He's a super intellect. The other thing that the Bible makes it clear about him, if you read Daniel eleven thirty six and uh, Revelations. Well, look at Daniel eleven thirty six and Revelations thirteen two and six. All right, Daniel eleven thirty six says, "And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till indignation be accomplished, for that is, for that." is determined shall be done. You notice that uh, one of the things that he has, one of the skills that he has, he's going to have the capacity to be great. He's a great orator. He's a demagogue. If you look in uh, Matthew, in um, Revelations chapter 13, verse 2, that describes him, you'll see the references made once again to his, his speaking ability, his, his, um, his mouth, basically. Revelations 13, and look at verse 2 and verse number 6. All right, verse 2 says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power. Now read verse number 6. And verse number 6 says, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwelt in heaven. Okay. And notice it said that he has a mouth of a what? A lion in verse number uh, t- number 2? Yeah. And of course, uh, the, 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 the imagery there is that he would have a majestic tone. Like a lion that roars. In the forest, and everybody pays attention. Uh, he's going to have that kind of a oratorical ability. He's a man with a silver tongue, an excellent verbal communicator, uh, who would have a hypnotic spell on the world. Uh, a golden voice speaking with a silver tongue, basically, is what he's going to be. So not only will he be a great intellect, but he'll be a person who has great oratorical skills. And people, again, uh, people like the gift of gab. When a speaker, uh, a person can can speak fluently and speak well and, and speak with authority, uh, people are drawn to such an individual. Uh, he's really going to be the modern leader of our times, where in his old profile, he would have this whole composite of all these qualities. 
The other thing is that if you look at Daniel 9.27 and Daniel and Revelation 17, uh, verse 11 and 12, there's another mark that he's going to have that will explain why he's such an attractive, charismatic leader. Daniel 9.27. Daniel 9.27 says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspread of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. The point I'm making there is that Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 has to do with the ability of him to sign a peace treaty with Israel to bring about the peace that they want in the Middle East. Uh, he is going to be a political wizard, a genius, a person who has the capacity to um, uh, bring people together, and uh, he emerges as a world peace leader uh, because of the genius that he has as being a politician. And what politician at, today wouldn't love uh, to, uh, oh, to fill that e- role? E- even, even Trump would like to claim that he solved the Middle East problem. Mm-hmm. If you look at Revelation 17, verse 11 and 12 as well, you'll see that there's similar things. And the beast that was and is not even a, he is the eighth and is of the seventh and goeth into perdition. Verse 12 says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Again, he's talking about his capacity to bring uh, um, kings together to form a united European Union, which the Bible talks about is going to be the revived Roman Empire. But Nogus is a capacity not only to sign a peace structure with Israel in Daniel chapter 9, but also somehow to bring these other ten kings under his authority where they're willing to surrender uh, to his leadership. This shows you the political skill that he has. And uh, again, um, these are qualities that people admire in uh, a world leader. And then uh, if you look at Daniel 11.43 and then Revelations 13.16 and 17, there's another quality that is outlined in Scripture about him that makes him so attractive as a charismatic leader as the world comes to its terminus. Daniel 11.43 says, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Now look at Revelations chapter uh, 13, 16, and 17. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17 17 says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay, the point I'm making here is that we know that before this uh, system of new political order, where a new economic system is put in place, there will be a collapse of the world's system. And he comes on the scene as an economic guru with a genius for commerce and uh, dealing with economic matters so that he's able to institute a new world economic order where everything is controlled and centralized. He's the chief CEO of the world controlling the whole economic system. He provides provides not only national leadership but global leadership. And again, uh, what person uh, or the, what what kind of person you think the world is looking for today? Someone who can solve the world's economic problems because the inequalities that talk about the uh, the confusion that is there. 
Uh, and then when this whole system is going to collapse, it's going to collapse because I don't think anybody with any sensible mind, with America having 20, is it 16 or $20 trillion in debt at this point in time, she could never repay that. I think yeah. the world knows that. And eventually, uh, it's going to become so top-heavy, everything's going to collapse. When that happens, someone has to be able to put the pieces back together. And this economic genius will come on the scene and offers a solution. And I think that will be the attraction uh, of uh, one of the attractions of him. And then the other thing is, if you look at Revelation 6 to Revelation 13, uh, to this another quality that he would have. Revelation 6 2 says, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he sat on him, had a, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Okay, and then look at Revelation 13, 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Again, notice that he is going to be a great military strategist. He conquers. He goes forth and he conquers. Uh, he comes on the scene with a facade that is a pacifist, and the world is enamored with this peaceful plan. But then, during the midway during the tribulation, he, he he turns to be a different type of individual, and he becomes a person who is militarily aggressive. And the Bible talks about that. So he's going to be the the. Uh, not only is he going to have economic skill and political skill and oratorical skills, uh, but he's also going to be a person of great intellect. And uh, add to that the, the genius of being a military strategist who is able to conquer and go forth and conquer. And then there's one other quality I think that's outstanding about him, and that is found in Revelations 13.8. And uh, the reference also, we can tie in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Revelations 13.8 says, uh -huh. And all that dwelleth upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And then, remember, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, said he was stand of God in the temple of God, claiming that he is God. Yeah. He is going to be a great religious leader as well. Uh, so he has got, um, remember, he is Satanic, he's Satan's prodigy, and he's going to be able to accomplish what neither Buddha, nor Muhammad, uh, nor any pope has been accomplished to bring all the world together to worship a man who claims to be God. And he's going to be able to do that and accomplish that because he is going to have uh, the ability um, somehow to uh, not only mesmerize the world politically and economically and oratorically, but also an intellectual, but also because he'll have this political genius. Remember that he is... Going to have in Revelation, we study it later, that the woman that rides the beast, that is the world church called the great whore, the, the, the end system, the great ecumenical system, he will be able to marry that politically, and uh, that will be part of his genius as well. No person can run the world without somehow bringing religion, religion into it, and somehow being able to bring these two forces together, politics and religion, and to be a marriage between the politics and religion. And uh, out of that, ultimately, uh, he's going to claim that he is a man who is God. And by the way, it might be interesting for those of you who may not know this, that all the New Age movement is talking about man is God, but man doesn't know it. And the, the, the Hindus as well are teaching man is God, but man doesn't know it. So the whole idea, and, and by the way, the word of faith movement, 
again, is saying that we're little gods, but we just don't know. We're just ignorant. We just need to realize our identity. And the higher consciousness movement, the whole idea is that we have to come to a higher consciousness to understand that we actually are God. So the, the trend, the global trend, is towards this idea that a man, the God-man is coming, a man who is God, a man to become God. And I think he will fulfill this ideal. And when you find all of these characteristics in one person, hmm. you can very well see the attraction of that. Uh, intellectual skills, oratorical skills, political skills, military skills, religious skills. Uh, he's got economic skills. He's got the whole package. Uh, a man on the scene and the world scene today with those qualities would have the adoring um, worship of, of, uh, of the world. So I think that is where he is so attractive and so appealing. You're listening to That's Truth, and the voice that you've been hearing teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454, or if you'd like to be put live on the air, please call 268-462-7420. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is three minutes after 8 p.m. We have just about a full hour left in the program tonight. Pastor, we have several program or several questions that have come in from around the Caribbean already this evening. We have a text message from St. Kitts. Good night, Pastor Murphy. Please tell me what this means from Isaiah 9, 6. And the passage is, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And when will this be? Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there shall be no end. Can you please explain those? Um, those are uh, messianic prophecies about the Messiah who is going to come. Uh, if you were to read the section there, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, and see the expansion of that, you'll see that it all actually points to Christ. He is going to one day assume rule on planet Earth where he will set up his millennial kingdom, and it will be there for a thousand years, and he'll be ruling from Jerusalem. All the promises that God made to Abraham concerning the, 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 the idea that um, one would sit on David's throne forever has never been fulfilled. The, the land that was promised to Israel, the, the border from the river Egypt onto the Euphrates has never been claimed by Israel. God doesn't make a promise on, unless he fulfills it. And the day is coming when he will fulfill every single promise he made uh, to the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this is why we insist that there will be a literal millennial kingdom on planet Earth where Christ will rule from Jerusalem. That is not a matter that we can compromise on. That is something that is taught in the Bible again and again. Even in this... Um, in the when Christ was born in in the Gospels, it is said that he would sit on his, the throne of his father David. Uh, that has not been fulfilled as yet, but that is coming, and that's when we believe that these prophetic w- verses, uh, Isaiah nine six, Isaiah nine seven, etc., that has to do with the future millennial kingdom when Christ will reign on planet Earth. And there's so much to be said about that. We'll come to deal with it when we talk about millennial kingdom, and we'll t- tell you exactly what the conditions will be there at that particular time. But uh, that's it. that's what these verses are about, the coming future millennial rule of Christ on planet Earth, ruling from Jerusalem. We have another question that's come in. Pastor, what is meant by the phrase, circumcise your heart? Well, uh, well, we all know what the circumcise, circumcision is, where it's cut off the flesh. 
and to circumcise your heart really means to um, what it's like your heart is callous this is just the imagery your heart is callous and you have to remove the callous so your heart becomes tender when you go through circumcision as a male I don't have to tell you that you're tender for many many days and sometimes even for a whole month that's the whole idea that the flesh uh, your heart is surrounded as it were uh, like with flesh that is not allowing it to be tender so they start don't circumcise your heart it's, talk, it's, a, it's a spiritual expression uh, and the imagery there is to, it's a, it's a to t- remove that which um, is a callous around your heart so you become much more tender um, uh, and responsive to God. That's what it really means. What about the phrase, who is the Gentile bride? The Gentile bride is the church. Uh, uh, and uh, it, by the way, if you, it's a good comparison with that. You remember when um, uh, Isaac was looking for a bride? Yeah, uh, that's a beautiful picture of of the the whole the whole picture of the the Gentile bride as well. And also, I remember that uh, Moses also had uh, Keturah as as his wife. That's a Gentile bride. But the Gentile bride basically uh, refers to uh, the 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 um, the Gentiles that come in under faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that is what we mean by the Gentile bride. Remember, by the way, the, the person that, was, that answered the question, you go back to Romans chapter 9, 10, and, uh, eight, nine, 10 and 11, where it makes quite clear that Israel has been, uh, at this point in time, taken out of the program and set aside because of her unbelief, and God has now grafted the Gentiles into his program. That's what we mean by the Gentile bride, calling out from the Gentiles uh, people onto his own name, uh, just that you had the Jews, now you have the Gentiles. But the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. But the vast majority today of those who belong to the church, that's why it's called a Gentile bride. There are still individual Jews that are getting saved, but in terms of the national conversion of the Jew, that's yet futuristic. So that's why it refers to the Gentile bride. Another good question. What is Jacob's trouble? Jacob's trouble is the same period referred to as the tribulation period. Uh, so it'll be uh, seven years. Uh, yeah, it's seven years of tribulation at the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, our Lord refers to that as a time that has never been, nor will there ever be a time like that. That's why it's used. It's an expression that is synonymous with both the um, with, with the seven-year tribulation period. And a very practical question coming via WhatsApp from Parame Antigua. Thank you to the individuals who send in these questions, Pastor. What do you think about dating sites? Uh, I haven't thought about it, uh, but I will tell you that um, some Christians really need some assistance when it comes to that kind of matter. Let me explain what I mean by that. It also has to do with the motive. To be ver- if it's a money racket and thing, I'm, I'm actually against it. If it's designed to bring Christians together to find suitable partners, uh, I'm all for it. I'll tell you why. Even in our church, um, and uh, I suspect uh, this would also be a lot of Baptist churches as well and other churches, sometimes the pool is so small. You have people in the church who are not married, they're looking for partners, they're looking for Christians, and the church that they're going to, uh, maybe an aging church, they don't have any young people, if they do have young people, don't have any old people, they don't have the particular mix. And not only that, uh, it's such a limited choice that you have in terms of getting to meet people. I like the idea they, that's why, by the way, I favor bringing uh, churches of like faith together so that if the pool is small in a local church, it widens and broadens. So I'm not against uh, a site that would bring Christians together with the hope that they would meet each other and uh, 
uh, talk and converse and uh, maybe uh, see if there's some spark that will start somewhere that could lead to something that is permanent. I'm not against these these, these avenues. I'm also for one who believes that believers should go to conferences uh, where they can meet other believers. Um, and uh, Because let's face it, if we don't, create a situation where we can help people in that that regard um, they may be forced uh, God forbid that they go after unsafe people because there's nobody mm-hmm. in the church there's nothing wrong in trying to uh, to assist in that kind of matter even though we do a lot of other things that might seem humanistic uh, within the church uh, you know we can't we can argue for example if God wants anybody to be saved to be saved but we go to reach people for, for, for Christ we have other activities that we do uh, we like might, might have a banquet for, for youth to bring the youth together you might have camp to bring youth together of course there has to be a, a spiritual aspect of this whole thing and it would be good the site as well as to bring good Christians together to um, fellowship with each other talk with each other get to know each other nothing wrong with that and if it leads to something more permanent hallelujah as you were talking about that, the answer to that question, my mind went to, and I'm drawing a blank as to who did it, but sent out their servant to uh, get a, a wife for their son and said when she gives water to your camels, that's, that's the right woman. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good illustration. That's a really good illustration. It's, I mean, there's nothing wrong in, uh, I mean, that, by the way, that was Isaac, a bride for Isaac, yeah, the right. sent to, to find a bride for Isaac. Yeah. I just think that, look, um, time changes, situation changes, technology is different. We had to use the technology if we could use the technology. Same we use the technology to preach the gospel and do other things. There's nothing wrong to assist believers. Uh, you said, but there was a time when it didn't have it. Well, there was a, that, that might have been true. But the fact that we have the technology to assist uh, believers in that, that that matter, I don't think it's a matter of abusing the technology. If it's, it's, t- the technology is neutral. It depends on how you use it. And if you have a good, solid motive, and you're really trying to help uh, Christians who are perhaps looking for a partner but don't know where to look, um, I see absolutely nothing wrong with it at all, period. Thank you very much for the individuals who sent in those questions. I know there are more of you out there who have questions, and go ahead and send them in. Uh, If you have the question, there are other people that likely have the question also and just aren't feeling uh, brave enough to ask it, and we would be glad to answer your question from a biblical worldview. You can WhatsApp or text your question to us, 268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454, or the phone line is available. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. Or if you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your question, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 812. Pastor is there any way to know where the Antichrist is going to come from? Like what country, what nationality he'll be? Yeah, at Book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 26, settles that question. There's no doubt or dispute who this, where he's coming from. Uh, Daniel 9, uh, verse 26, if you could just kind of read that. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Yeah. Notice that a prince is going to come, 
and the people of that prince who succumb is going to destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem. Now, we have um, historical um, hindsight. Uh, we know that in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, came against Jerusalem and totally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the city of Jerusalem also destroyed the temple. The prince to come is going to be out of the same people that mm. destroyed the temple. Who destroyed the temple? The Romans destroyed the temple. Where was the central headquarters of Rome? Italy. So we know one thing, that whoever the Antichrist is, he is coming out of Europe. He's going to be a Western European. He's coming from Roman origin uh, because uh, uh, Daniel says he's the prince to come is coming from the people that destroy the temple. And um, there's no, no one disputes that the Roman general uh, Titus destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, so this prince certainly is coming out of Western Europe, no doubt about that. So are you saying that the Pope is going to be the Antichrist? I've never said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've known a lot of people made the mistake of saying the Pope is going to be the Antichrist. I, um, but the Bible doesn't tell you the Pope is going to be the Antichrist. But uh, clearly, uh, we know that the Church of Rome is going to play a major role in the end time because we will learn later that the great whore, the Bible describes it, she sits on seven hills. There's only one city that sits on seven hills that everybody talks about. That's Rome. And mm. uh, so clearly the the ecumenical church of the end times headed up by Rome is going to be a major player in the end time. But she's not going to be the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, the Antichrist is going to turn around and destroy uh, the ecumenical system. You'll find that in the book of Revelation. She, 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 they need, look, politicians need religion. And in the end time, this, this genius is going to be able to marry religion with, 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 with politics. But when he sees that there's no longer need the religion, then he casts off the spell of religion, and he says that he, he destroys the, the whore. So um, that is going to be the end of the ecumenical system, ultimately. You keep referring to the Antichrist as being he. Do we know for a fact, I'm asking this a little uh, sarcastically, but in the, the day and age that we live where... Um, women are saying empower women. Uh, do we know for sure the Antichrist is going to be a man? Well, we know he's going to be a man if you take the, the pronouns in the Bible literally. That is okay. he. You know, if you, if you want to take a he is she to then a she is he, he has he, and total confusion. But there's no uh, there's no confusion about gender in the Bible. A he is a he and a she and a she. So if you take the Bible literally as I do, uh, every reference is to he. Never is a reference to she. So we know that it's going to be a man who is going to uh, ruled and the other thing is this if he's going to be Antichrist he can't be a she because he's claiming to be Christ uh, the Christ who's going to come was the son of God is a, is, is a male basically so uh, it would be virtually impossible for a female to get up and claim that to be the Christ when the Jews are looking for a son to be born yeah. right now we've gotten maybe a little bit bogged down in some details. We tried to go through them quickly, but can you give us an overall panoramic survey of maybe the rise and the fall of the Antichrist? Yeah, I want to. Let me just share with the audience here um, a kind of a overall, uh, as you said, profile of the Antichrist and what we can expect. And I just want to mention um, quickly about um, several things we know about him that the Bible says. In Daniel eight seventeen. we won't be able to read these verses, but he will appear at the time of the end. And that has to do with the end of Israel's history because that whole passage has to do with the Antichrist in relation to Israel. So the final phase of Israel's history is, we're already given that in Daniel chapter 9, 70 years, 77s, and we're told that the last seven years 
which is the last, what is called seven weeks or, 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 or sevens. So we know that it has to do in the end times. He's coming in during the end times. Number two, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, um, his manifestation will be the beginning that the day of the Lord is near. Not the rapture. Remember, the rapture is not the same as the day of the Lord. All the Old Testament uh, prophetic writers talk about the day of the Lord, and it's a day of judgment and wrath. That day is coming. The rapture is uh, not mentioned in the Old Testament. It is, a, it is one of the great mysteries of the New Testament about the church being raptured. But once he comes on the scene, it becomes clear to everyone that the day of the Lord is very soon, because at the end of the seven years, our Lord returns. But once he comes on the scene, whoever is living on planet Earth and has any knowledge of Scripture is aware that it will not be long before the Messiah returns in all of his glory. The third thing is... Um, he will rise to a program of a platform of peace. Uh, Revelation 6 2. He has a bow, but he doesn't have arrows. And that has always been interpreted uh, to signify that he is coming on the world. And by the way, that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for a man of peace. And they will accept him as a man of peace, but midway during the tribulation, he has a metamorphosis and he becomes completely the opposite. He becomes a monster that people don't realize. And you've got to always wa- wa- be very careful um, that um, the, the idea of, of speaking peace, peace, peace when suddenly there's going to be destruction. So he's going to rise with an agenda and a platform of peace. Daniel 9.27 also says he will make a covenant of peace with Israel for seven years. Daniel 9.27 says he will keep that covenant and then he will break it in the midst of those seven years. So after three and a half years of peace, it's, uh, after three and a half years, then he breaks the covenant and then he begins to really manifest who he really is. Uh, somewhere in the um, between the first three years and going on the, third, uh, the second three years, he is going to be assassinated violently. Uh, Daniel 11.45 and Daniel, uh, Revelations 13.3 and 12 and, and 14 talk about him. He was wounded, a fatal wound that will be healed. So he is going to be, I don't know, as a result of the breaking of the treaty with Israel, he's assassinated, but he's going to be assassinated somewhere during that period of time. And then he will descend into the abyss. If you read uh, Revelation 17.8, he comes out of the abyss. This is why we believe that he dies because the abyss is where that is the underworld, where those that die uh, departed go to. So he comes out of the abyss. If you check Revelation chapter seventeen, verse eight, so he he's uh, assassinated. Uh, he dies, and then he somehow he will be raised again. Uh, is this a literal resurrection? Is this a resuscitation? Is he clinically dead and then able to be revived? Uh, we can't speak dogmatically, and to speak dogmatically is just nothing mental conceit. But we do know one thing, he'll be pronounced dead, and we do know one thing, he will be revived. By the way, I don't know if you know this, there are people who have been put in the mortuary and put in the mm-hmm. coal, and then they've gone and opened the guys in their life. So this is going to be a miraculous, uh, because the wound he gets is, everybody's going to say, this is fatal, he's dead. But something is going to happen, whether a miraculous uh, act of, of science or satanic power, whatever is required. But just like Christ was resurrected and dead, again, this is part of the imitation that he also be resurrected, as it were. Uh, and of course, 
a man who is assassinated with all of this, this, uh, these skills that we talked about, and then suddenly he's able to come back on the scene. You can imagine what you talk about doting after a leader. Yeah. Uh, this is why we be, we can't understand the power he has. But when we begin to understand what the Bible talks about him, it becomes very clear that he be a, a world attraction. And then uh, the whole world would be amazed and follow after him. By the way, look at Revelation thirteen three for just a moment, Nathan. Revelation 13, 3. It says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now remember the heads represent the the beast is the, the entire world power. One of the heads is who the beast is the head of the, one of the um, one of those heads represent him. But notice that one of the heads are wounded unto death. As a result of it being here, what happened? The world wonders after him. It's it's like a, 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 a it's like hearing that um, somebody a president got assassinated and he's supposed to be dead. And the next week you heard the man is alive because some miracle of science or something has happened. I mean, there's something uh, supernatural about that that leads you to believe that he must be the one. And I think this is part of the whole scheme of the devil to move the world after this particular leader. I can just imagine the news media's 24-hour coverage and the every doctor, every physician being interviewed. How did this happen? What I can just imagine. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't take much, really. The, the, when you look at what's happening globally today, uh, you can really see the world is being set up for this kind of an arrangement to happen. The other thing in Revelation 13, 2-7, uh, he has total control because of Satan's power. They, they, we're told that the devil gives him his power. Uh, in that particular passage. So you can you imagine a superman who has been endowed with all the power that Satan has. Think about what that means uh, again. Uh, so this is this is a person who is just not just an ordinary man uh, with ordinary skills. This is a man that also gave an infernal power uh, that leads the world to go after him. In Daniel 7.24, he will subdue three of the kings out of this ten-nation confederacy that will be formed, and then he'll be able to re- reunite uh, these these powers under uh, the revived Roman Empire. In Revelation seventeen twelve to thirteen, uh, these seven kings that would remain after he's wiped out three of them, uh, they will surrender the authority to him, so that he becomes the complete dominant world leader at the time. Um, he will invade the land of Israel and desecrate the temple. Uh, we know that because Daniel 9.7 says in the midst of the years he will break the covenant and he will do away with the daily sacrifice. But also, if you look at Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.41, Daniel 12.11, it talks about the desecration of the temple. And Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 15, 24, verse 15, Christ said that when you see the abomination of desolation that, that Daniel talked about, flee. Don't uh, that is yet futuristic, and then in Revelation eleven two, it makes it clear that he is going to be the one that will desecrate the temple. Do we know if the temple has to be rebuilt before the rapture? Uh, we don't know. Well, if it, how should I put that? We don't know one thing that the, the temple would be in place when the Antichrist comes. We know that there's no sign that needs to precede the rapture. Okay. But I would say to you that if we saw the temple being rebuilt today. 
it should cause us to become keenly aware that the rapture is much closer than it is because the building of the temple has to do with the revelation when our Lord comes back, not the rapture. There's no sign that must precede the rapture. But I, I don't know if the building with the temple at some point in time. I'm not too sure if the audience is aware that there's a Jewish group in, the, in in Israel that already has the temple vessels, the temple uh, vestments, and so on and so forth. Uh, they are now having what is called a red heifer, trying to produce a red heifer, which is needed to cleanse the temple, by the way, before it can be put into operation. That is, that's on the way. Uh, so a lot of things are happening in Israel that people are not aware of. And of course, the main problem today is that the Temple Mount is where the mosque is, the, the mosque. What will happen there is the big issue. Will Iran shoot at Israel and destroy the temple? One of those. I think that's a very, rare possibility. Mm-hmm. That gives Israel a time now to go in and reclaim that area because it's not Israel destroyed it. It's its own Islamic country that's done that. Just like the the, uh, the Iranians claim that the missile uh, by accident shot down the plane. You can see something directed to, uh, to retaliate at Israel, and it goes berserk and goes to a different place and destroys the, the mosque. Yeah. Once that is destroyed, the temple monk is available to Israel. That's a possibility. The other thing that people said is that the, it's possible to build the temple very near the mosque and still have some of the area that belongs to the temple. But how that's going to happen, we don't know. But we know one thing, the temple is going to be rebuilt. And uh, if God says it's going to be rebuilt, it's going to be rebuilt. Something's going to happen somewhere along the line that will allow Israel the opportunity to rebuild the temple. But that's going to be rebuilt. So we know that. Uh, We know that he will persecute the Jewish people in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 to 25, Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 6. Uh, he will be, I remember he signs a peace pact with Israel, breaks that covenant in three and a half years, and he begins to persecute the people of God. A classic example of him, by the way, is Antioch Epiphanes that you find in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. Uh, he is the Seleucid king that uh, put a sow and sacrificed a sow in the altar in, in the temple that brought about the Maccabean revolution. He is, uh, Judas Maccabeus is a type of the Antichrist, and what he did historically will be repeated again, but he's a, a type of the Antichrist. Uh, we also know in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, that he will set up himself in the temple of God and say that he's God. He's going to occupy the temple, claiming that he is the true and the living God. Revelations 3, 4, 8 uh, tells us that he will be worshipped for three and a half years. Finally, uh, the idea of the man being God uh, comes to fruition and this man that seems to have this kind of power, resurrection power, a man that seems to have all of these different gifts, he becomes the, the epitome of what um, a man is perceived to be. And uh, the world worships him for three and a half years. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says that he claims to be deity. And um, by the way, his claim to deity is substantiated by signs and wonders. Could you read Second Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12 for me, please? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perisheth, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send strong delusion that they should be leave alive. And verse 12 says, that they might all 
that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. No, this, this is the same person, by the way, if you read the other verses, where he's this one that sits in the temple of God claiming that he's God. Notice that um, one of the things that he does to deceive the world is he uses what signs and wonders and miracles. This is where people need to understand that not every sign, not every wonder, not every miracle is of God. You remember in the Old Testament, the people of Pharaoh's um, magicians were able to do certain things that Moses did. It's only when it came to the creative act that they were not able to do it. But the fact is that Satan has tremendous power. And we got to be very careful about, especially the modern science and wonders movement that is taking the, the religious world by storm. A lot of what is going on in these uh, different movements are just bogus uh, things that are happening, and one needs to be put on the P's and Q's to be very much very, very careful. Listen, no matter what um, religious signs and wonders uh, that seem to be displayed, if that group is going contrary to Scripture, mark it down. It is not of God. God does not lead people contrary to Scripture. So there are practices in those movements that are c- clearly contrary to Scripture. You can know one thing. It is not uh, of God. And then uh, the other thing about him is that he will speak great blasphemy against God. Daniel 7, 8, Daniel, um, Revelation 13, 6. And of course, he will rule the world politically and religiously for three and a half years. You find that in Revelations uh, 13, 48, Revelations 13, 16 uh, to 18. Those are uh, several, uh, at least 19 things I've, I've mentioned there. And we can go on and, and uh, mention some others that really describes him. But um, um, just to give you more, a few more, if I could do that. Um, according to Revelation 13, 11 to 18, uh, he will be promoted by a second beast who is a pr- false prophet. Just like Christ had him, uh, John the Baptist that was a forerunner. Uh, there will be one that will go before him that will claim this is the Messiah. Uh, again, he imitates the Christ because we know that before Christ came on the scene, John was sent to be the forerunner of him. The other thing that we learn in Revelation chapter 16, 13, verse 16 to 18, he would require that everyone receive the mark of the beast in order to transact any kind of commercial business. Uh, so the time is coming when to do business you will have to decide if you want to receive the mark of the beast or not. This is part of the coercion, political coercion, uh, economic coercion that he will put in place in order to enforce his worship. And then um, in Revelation chapter 17, he will establish um, uh, his relationship between religion and politics. And um, that part is called Babylon. Now, here's a question that people are asking. Is the Babylon that's referred there to, is this going to be Iraq and Babylon's going to be rebuilt? There are some Bible scholars who believe it's going to be rebuilt. As a matter of fact, I believe that one of the reasons they took out um, Hussein uh, because he really had he had he actually had ideas that he was Nebuchadnezzar and he was going to rebuild the empire of Nebuchadnezzar and I think that is part of the reason he was taken out very fast. But uh, the, we're not too sure if it means that um, Babylon is going to be rebuilt. The Bible call, call, calls Babylon the mystery of Babylon, and I believe that that's referring to you, you remember Babel, where there was false religion. This was the, the very beginning, the genesis of idolatry, where they were trying to build a tower to go up to heaven. Um, this is where it, the introduction of all idolatry started in Babel, and. 
the epitome of that today is Rome. And that is where the mystery of Babylon really is the mystery that what Rome was, the final religion will be, as it were, um, a reflection of that. So it would embody all that um, Babylon was in the past in terms of idolatry and falsehood. The final phase of world religion will be actually the reenactment of what Babel was a conglomeration of all forms of religion, all kinds of idolatry. And that's why I talk about Babylon mystery form. Um, the other thing is, um, he is the one that's going to kill the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. At this point in time, God will raise up two witnesses. Uh, some people say they're going to be Moses. Some people say Moses and Elijah. The reason for that, uh, some people say it's going to be Enoch and Elijah because Enoch was raptured and translated, and of course, Elijah was translated and they never died. It's a point of man wants to die, so they believe that they'll be brought back and they'll, be, and they'll die. We don't know, but there are going to be two witnesses that will stand up and speak for God who is who are going to be killed by the Antichrist. And then, finally, uh, he will gather all nations against Jerusalem. That is found in Zechariah 12, 1 and 2, Zechariah 14, 1 and 1, Revelation 16, 16, and Revelation 19, 19. Uh, he will be the one that brings about the battle of Armageddon by bringing all nations against Jerusalem. Those are 26 different facts that the Bible uh, talks about him, and therefore it gives you a pretty good profile uh, of who this person is going to be. Pastor, we have two questions that have come in. The first one is via WhatsApp from Anguilla. The Israelites that Moses brought out of Egypt... Were they Hebrews? And if so, where are they today? I'm not too sure where that question is asked. I mean, if were they Hebrews? Jews are Hebrews. You can't be a Jew unless you're Hebrew. So I'm a little bit confused uh, why that question be asked. The answer where they came out from, we, that's very simple. There has been a perpetuation of the Jewish nation from the inception of the time of Abraham until the Lord returns. They've always been an elect remnant that God has always preserved. We know that when Moses brought them out of Egypt, we know that God bleached a whole generation, took them in 40 years in circles because of the unbelief. And we know that only the two senior men, Moses and, uh, and, and Caleb, went in, Joshua and Caleb went in with all who were 21 and under. That became the second generation. And uh, so there's never been a break between the Jew for the time of Abraham right through until the Lord returns. They've always been Jewish people, and uh, God has always kept a remnant. So even those people, by the way, that uh, the second generation and that was founded in, in the times of the judges, etc., etc., then you find that these people are carried into captivity in, in 722. The Assyrians took the northern kingdom into captivity. And then in uh, 586 B.C., the Babylonians took the the final Jewish um, Judah into captivity. Then they were returned uh, in the time of um, Jerubbabel and the time of Ezra Nehemiah. They came back. And out of that core, of course, when you come our Lord on the scene, you got the Jews back in Palestine. They've always been there. But of course, the Romans came in 70, 80, and again destroyed the temple and scattered the Jews. And then it was not until 2000, uh, 1948 the Jews started returning to Palestine. Why? You can't kill the Jew. You can't destroy the Jew. God keeps the Jew. He preserved the Jew because they're his special people that he has a special purpose for. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if, if the sun could stop shining, the moon could stop shining, 
Uh, that's the only way you can know that the, the Jews will not exist. But he will exist because God preserves a remnant. And then Paul tells us in, in Romans, there's always an, uh, a remnant according to the election of grace. It's always grace operating, God showing his favor, even though when Israel is rebellious and goes away from God and gets away from God, in his grace and his mercy and his favor, not that they deserve anything, but he has preserved it because he acts on the basis of grace. As a matter of fact, had he not, would he not act on the basis of grace with us, we would perish too. So it's a basis of grace, elective according to grace, that you've got the Jews preserved. So to answer the question, the Jews from the time of Abraham, uh, who is the father of the Jewish nation, until our Lord returns, there's always been uh, Jews that fall in that particular lane. And then we have a WhatsApp question from St. Martin. Good evening. My question is, what do the bronze feet in Revelation one fifteen mean? I'll read that verse and then continue with the question. Revelation one fifteen says, And his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Some use this to say that Jesus was a black African man. I, I don't want to seem as though I'm facetiously laughing, but I must laugh when I, re- when I hear people making such silly comments. Look, you go back to Daniel, and you will find that one of the metals is gold, silver, brass, iron. Okay? The gold is who? Babylon, right? The uh, the silver is the Medo-Persian Empire, right? The bronze is who? The Greek Empire. And then you come down to the, 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 the thing. If you read the book there in uh, Revelation chapter 17, you'll find that the beast there is a composite beast. He has the, f- the head of a lion. And uh, if you look at different parts, the feet of a bear, he's the same comp. What has happened is this, right? The final world empire is going to be a conglomeration of all that existed before. There'll be elements of the Babylonian empire, elements of the, of the Grecian empire, elements of the Medo-Persian empire, elements of the, of the Roman empire. So that's what the, the, the bronze that is there has to do, that that's the Greek part of the final phase of the Roman empire. So that is, that's the answer to it there. Uh, I, I don't know why people are, people go to the Bible and they go, look through the, 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 some kind of the spectacles, a color spectacle. You can't go to the Bible having on um, a particular color spectacle. You go to the Bible and accept the Bible. What it, and then you begin to interpret the Bible by going back and let the Bible interpret itself. You can't impose something on the Bible that is completely new and novel that never existed. And that's what's been happening in the Rastafarian movement. They have no system of, of uh, hermeneutics. It's a butterfly fly humanities, they run from one verse to the other, they have no basis to what they're teaching, they're into a false dogma, and uh, they're not prepared to accept the fact that it's, what they teach is contrary to Scripture. It doesn't exist in Scripture. They're giving meaning to Scripture that has no, there's no biblical base for it. And what they need to do is to humble themselves, go back to the Bible, let the Bible interpret the Bible, and then they'll get understanding of the Spirit of God enlightens them. But this uh, idea of every time you look, you see some kind of a color, it got to be this and the next, is total nonsense. If you would like more in-depth description and discussion on the, the different metals in the statue, uh, go to Google, type in That's Truth Podcast, and look up episode 90 and episode 91. In those two episodes, Pastor goes through and explains Daniel chapter 2. Two and Daniel chapter 7, I believe it is. But episode 90 and episode 91 will give you much more in-depth. Yeah. Just to use that illustration, I think the last question last week about Psalms 87. Yeah. 
they read that uh, from uh, it had from uh, Egypt and from Tyro uh, and from Ethiopia. They said this man is born there. They take that verse and say that that is Haley Selassie because the word Ethiopia. What what the, what the whole passage about every single person in the end time when the Messiah begins to rule. Uh, the Messiah rules from Jerusalem and everybody wants to claim that they have some kind of uh, ownership in Jerusalem and they want to be treated as though they're born in Jerusalem but it has nothing to do with um, Haile Selassie he's not in the Bible because he's not a Messiah Uh, Pastor, a follow-up question from Anguilla this is the question about uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, uh-huh. were they Hebrews and where are they today? They say, but were not the Hebrew people black people? I what are your thoughts? I don't know where that came from. Um, if you read the book of Genesis, you'll find that the uh, the races basically came out of the, the, the sons of um, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The Jewish people are Semitic people. If you read the the account given in the book of uh, Genesis, there in the, in the land, we can st- study this another time. You'll find that they're Semitic. The African people are Hamitic people, and the Occidental people are, uh, and then they're Japhetic people. So the, 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 those that came from Japheth are those who went to the Europeans, uh, basically. Those that came from Seth. Uh, those who um, those are like the the Israelis. Those are the uh, what you call the o- Occidentals, and then of course you've got the African group coming from Ham. So the Hamitic people are not the same as Semitic people, and the Jewish people are from the Semitic people. You can check that in your Bible itself, and you see that that is very very clear. So there's a confusion somewhere, and I don't know where it has come from. Uh, it, it really puzzles me that people really believe this stuff because I don't think they really study the scriptures. You're listening to That's Truth. It's a live call-in program, and we are really enjoying the interaction with you tonight on the program. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 842. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454. Or if you'd rather call and be put live on the air, you can call 268-462-7420. Pastor, here's a maybe off-the-wall question for you. Daniel chapter 11, verse 37 says, Neither shall he regard, this is talking about the Antichrist, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Is that verse teaching that the Antichrist is going to be homosexual? You know, it, it's in the day in which we live, certainly that's a possibility because the social political climate that we are living in, uh, the whole idea of sexual orientation not to be disputed, um, I, it, it's a possibility that um, the Antichrist can be homosexual in light of the fact that he is going to be the most corrupt, perverted human leader the world has ever seen. Uh, and he's going to be demonized and controlled by Satan. Um, so uh, looking at the geopolitical situation and also the social political order in which we're living, certainly it would not be in any way be offend- offensive to people today um, if he were homosexual. But the question is, uh, are we reading too much into that particular passage? And I believe that we are reading too much into that particular passage. Um, I want to give you two reasons why I don't believe that um, Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, is actually dealing with the fact that he's a homosexual. In Daniel uh, 7, 
1137. I want to read it once again to those who are... Um, I said that neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all, uh, but in his estate they shall uh, honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor. The, the, the context, first of all, um, helps to clarify what this is. It's talking about the Antichrist being a person who recognizes only one, one authority, and that is the power of military power. Uh, he will or he will worship what is called the the God of forces. Uh, again, you'll study later on in Revelation that nobody be able to stand against the Antichrist. Who can fight against the beast? They will say. So this is one that is is, is going to virtually worship and uh, uh, the, the power. That's what's about. And so in this context, if you look at uh, verse thirty-seven, it says they shall neither regard the God of his fathers. Now the expression there, by the way, God of his fathers. Uh, we know what that means because in the, the book of Daniel itself, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 23, the same word is used there. If you could just read that for me, if you've got it, Nathan, Daniel chapter 2, verse 23. It says, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now, now what ye desire of thee, for thou hast... Now made known unto us the king's matter. The point I'm making there is that the word expression there, God of our fathers, the word that is used in, in Daniel chapter 11, uh, verse 37, the word is Elohim, the Elohim of our fathers. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 23, he talks again the Elohim of my fathers. So we know that first of all, he's referring to God. He does not honor the true God. That's what he's saying there in Daniel 37. But notice, neither does he honor uh, the desire of women nor regard any other God. In the context, it's talking about uh, people that he recognizes as God. He doesn't recognize the true one, but who's the desire of women? Uh, that's another thing, expression that we need to understand. The, the Hebrew grammar, by the way. If you look at uh, Haggai 2.7. Haggai 2.7. <clears throat> You're going to make me remember my order of the books. Haggai between yeah, Zechariah and Zephaniah. Okay. You had me going for a little bit okay. there. Uh, Haggai 2.7 says, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of Now, who's the desire of all nations that will come? Messiah is going to come. Okay. Now, it's interesting that the same grammatical expression as used here in um, in um, Daniel 11.37, the same form it is, is, is what you is something it's not that something it's something that this is desired the desire of nations is that the nations desire somebody you follow me yeah. now if you look at first samuel 9:22 again you see the expression the same grammatical expression is used here first samuel 9:22 says 20 9:20 9:20 uh says and as for thine asses that were lost 3 days ago Set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Okay, so okay, who is desire? The desire of Israel is his point is that Israel desires Saul to be king. If you know the context, yeah. so notice in in, in Zechariah in Haggai is the who the world desires desire the world. Yes, Here it has to do with the the uh, the nation of Israel desiring uh, who Saul. If in other words, what I'm saying to you is that the object of the um, um, 
the object there is a is, is subject and not objective. That's what I'm trying to, trying to point out here. That the expression has to do with the somebody desire of women. It's not what women desire. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? Who does women desire? Again, if you understand Daniel and the history of the Jews, every single Jewish mother had one desire. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman is coming who will crush the soap on head. Yeah. Every woman wanted me, the one that would have the Messiah to be born through him. So the desire of women here has to do with the Messiah. So take it in the context now. It's talking about this one not acknowledging the true any God. He does not acknowledge the, the God, which is Elohim of Israel, but he doesn't also acknowledge the desire of women, who women desire the Messiah to come, but also no other God. In other words, in the context, it's not talking about what he desires. It's not what women desire. And what women desire in Israel's time was that this Messiah would be born. And that's why every Israeli woman wanted that the Messiah would come through her. The desire of women was the Messiah. That's the point I'm making there. So it is talking here not about he being a homosexual. It's talking about the fact that he will only acknowledge the God of power, the God of military might, the God of forces. No one will be able to fight against the beast. His only God is military power. That's the emphasis there in the chapter. So it's not talking about um, the, the, the Antichrist being a homosexual um, at all. Pastor, we have a viewer or a listener on Facebook Live that sent this message. I live in Florida, but I'm originally from Montserrat. Beside the topic tonight, but I've noticed that Antigua has a number of sound Bible-believing teaching churches. However, Montserrat, there hasn't been one of these churches since the 1970s with Pastor Randall Douglas. Only ecumenical charismatic types. Has anyone ever considered starting a ministry there? I have been to Montserrat since I've been in Antigua once. Uh, the plan was that we would go out there and start a cell church. Um, Sister Bernadette, um, one of our members who's now migrated to the States, uh, she has family there. In the UK? Had, uh, yeah, she's now in the UK. Uh, but the, the, we had made one trip uh, to Montserrat with the hope that we would have been able to. This is after the Hundred Volcano, and it was in a kind of a state of a mess. Now it's beginning to settle. Um, we've given thought to it, uh, but again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in you mentioning this. Um, I don't know if you'll be willing to give us your number online and we could call you, but I am sure that um, it would be, you know, we have missions team that we sent out on, on during the, during the uh, summer team. Uh, if we could um, come to Montserrat and, and maybe um, start a ministry there, I'm sure that all people will be open to that, and I'm sure that we can eventually provide some kind of a, a pastor for the for that church because we've got people that we're connected with the Bible school in St. Vincent, etc., one in and one in Puerto Rico. But um, there is a, if there's a need there for a good fundamental independent Baptist church, a good song solid church, and um, if you would be willing to as a person to to assist us and help us and show us exactly around and what we can do in places we can probably rent to to maybe start something. Um, I would promise you that we will we would look into it very seriously, and even the churches in Antigua, we can be a correct collective work together to try to get a good solid church established there. So please, if you could give us your number, uh, we'll try to call you, and we can see if we can assist in that direction. Pastor, a WhatsApp question coming from Anguilla. Iran is working on a nuclear weapon and has promised to take out Israel. Biblically, will that ever happen? Well, we'll come to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, and we will discover that Russia, along with Iran, Sudan, 
Libya, and uh, uh, and and, uh, and uh, yeah, those those five, along with some other allies, are going to invade Israel. We know that from uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Uh, but there's no indication in the Bible. Uh, that the, they'll get nuclear weapons. We do know one thing, that Russia will be, God will put a hook in, in Russia's uh, mouth, as it were, that's the expression that's used, and turn her back. And the armies of is and armies of Russia, along with the Confederates, including these uh, Arabic nations, we know that they are going to be obliterated, not by man, but God will send such thunder and lightning and brimstone and fire that they will be totally consumed and destroyed. All the military might that Russia has, there's no, no, there's no, there's no might against a storm that bogs down all your military equipment and God um, rains down uh, uh, hail and, and, and fire. Uh, you can't escape that. And when we come to uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, you'll see that there's going to be a confederacy of these nations, including uh, Russia, uh, Iran, Sudan, and uh, um, Libya is going to be part of that. There's some others as well that are mentioned, but those are the ones that will be are pointed out in Scripture. The names are actually there, by the way. Uh, Iran has, was Persia until the 1965, so you discover that uh, today Iran is actually Persia. Um, Persia, um, uh, Iran was formerly um, Iran was formerly Persia at one time, but uh, it is clear that there's going to be a confederate of na- confederacy of nations coming against Israel in the end time, led by Russia and and her allies, um, but they will be uh, summarily uh, destroyed not by man, by miraculous by God, and it's all um, outlined there in Ezekiel chapter thirty and thirty nine. And a WhatsApp question that has just come in from Antigua. Good night and blessings to all. That text from Daniel chapter 11. In times past, many biblical scholars thought of this as the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Do you think that the Pope would help in the setup of the Antichrist system or that the Antichrist would use the Pope's position? Well, again, when you go to Revelations, we'll study that later. We'll talk about the great whore. The great whore is the is the uh, religious system that will rule in the end time. And, and there's some marks that tell you exactly who this religious system is, this great whore. And it might be offensive to some people who are listening, but if you listen very carefully, we're told that one of the characteristics that will help to identify who this um, uh, religious system is described as a great whore that sits uh, on the beast and rides the beast. Uh, we're told that uh, the way that they dress, the, the, the scarlet and the uh, all of those colors that are used are only the colors that the Roman Catholic use. But not only that, we're told that uh, that the blood of the martyrs are on the uh, responsible blood of the martyrs. Who? Which church destroyed and killed the, the, the martyrs? Which, which church? Uh, history will tell you very, very clearly uh, that it's the Roman church that was responsible for the death of all of these great martyrs that that stood up for truth. But that's a matter that we'll come to, and we'll we'll give you greater detail on that when we study it in Revelation. But it's no doubt that the Antichrist is going to lie itself uh, with the the final uh, religious world power, and there's no question what that world power is going to be. The Pope is perhaps the most powerful religious leader in the known Christian world, with over one billion people who follow him, uh, etc., but uh, and again, uh, remember that um, the ecumenical system is trying to rope in all religions under the headship of the Pope, 
and Rome has no problem if Hindus become part of their system or the, 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 the Mohammedans become part of their system or the Buddhists become part of the system. The only key thing is that the Pope is the head. She's all been willing to embrace and become everything to everything so that the Pope receives uh, the power, the, the supreme power. So that's where we're headed, by the way, the ecumenical system, where the, when people are not concerned about doctrine, they're not concerned about biblical truth, they're concerned about what is called this false unity. We come together uh, to, uh, to somehow give the world an idea that we're together collectively. But unity must always be based on truth. It must not be based on trying to be pragmatic and just for the sake of bringing people together, we just come together without ignoring, ignoring biblical truth. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp comment from St. Martin. Deuteronomy 28.68 is used to indicate the slave trade of Africans, which is also used to say the verse shows the Jews are black African people, which I do not believe. And I'll read that verse. Deuteronomy 28.68 says, And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships. And by the way whereof I spake unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for of for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Look, I would let me just deal with that verse another time because um I I, I just what bothers me is that I am seeing so many times people are bringing up Bible verses and they're trying to connect it somehow with, with it has no absolute connection whatsoever. Uh, the whole Rastafarian movement, which is a farce, I repeat, it's a farce. It's a it's misleading people. There's no Hilarious is not any any Messiah. Uh, it was started in the ghettos of of Jamaica. That's where it all started, and and somehow uh, people have bring in their ideology and applying to scripture, and it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, Haley Selassie I himself, uh, when he went to Jamaica, made it very clear that he's no Messiah. I mean, it's a historical fact that he made that statement himself. I don't want to get in dispute uh, with this, 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 on this matter, but I think that it has done irreparable harm to people's understanding of the Bible, and has twisted Scripture in such a way that people who ordinarily would would have some grasp of Scripture are now confused because they brought this racial element into the understanding of the Bible, and I think it's a massive mistake. Really appreciate your interaction tonight on the program. And we will continue this topic in the future. And Pastor, I don't know if this question can be answered in 20 seconds or not, but how long will the kingdom of the Antichrist last? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly it's going to last three and a half years. He's coming in for seven years signing a peace pact, but uh, there's a three and a half year rule that the Bible talks about. And next time we'll give you more details about that and show you how many different ways it's stated again. That's only three and a half years. 1260 days, a time, a times, and half a time. And then 42 months is emphasized in many different ways. Thank you for joining us for the program tonight. We really appreciate your interaction. Be sure you tune in next week. Set an alarm on your phone. See you next Tuesday night for That's Truth. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. 
If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.